Matthew chapter 11. We want to look tonight at weddings and funerals. Weddings and funerals. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the marks and calling to their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Weddings and funerals, a strange title, but we do get it from uh, this portion of Scripture, the idea of it. The Lord Jesus says in verse 16, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? He's looking at a people all around him and he's saying, what will I liken this generation? Do you know, just this, was it this morning or last night, someone sent to me a clip from a man who is out in the universities in the States and he's asking the students questions about male and female and their difference. Now, it's obvious, isn't it? But they called it the stupid generation, yet they're all intellectually very intelligent, well, allegedly, and smart. And in this, he goes around showing men, or asking, I should say, students. These are, are uh, students in university now. They're not children in school. Is there a difference they said, yes, but the fluidity of it is that you can think what you are, believe what you are, and people must, tr- must treat you as you think. For example, if I decided tomorrow and I was deeply challenged that I was a woman, I could go into the woman's toilets. Obama has written a letter to the schools in America saying that men or women transgenders can use the men or women's toilets, so men will be going into the women's toilets with your daughters, and vice versa. There's a rebellion going on at the minute where many of the, the senators or the, the governors are rejecting this. And it's called the stupid generation because we've become so intelligent, we're stupid. That's the idea of it. So in other words, if I decide that on uh, tomorrow I get up and I am a five-foot Asian and a five-foot Asian man, that I have to be treated as such. And if I get up the next day and say I am a ten-foot African Zulu, you have to treat me as such, according to the laws they're trying to produce and are already bringing forth in some places. And this is real. It's called the stupid generation, the fluidity of our sexuality. We can be what we are, or you can say, I'm not man or woman, I'm nothing. When God has made species, male and female, and he loves both equally, he saw it was good. The Lord Jesus looks at a generation, and in Matthew 11, 
verse 16, he says, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? This was another stupid generation. He said, It's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling to their fellows. In fact, the other example of this is found in Luke 7. And it's basically the same rendering of it. But in verse 32, Luke says that the children are calling one to another. And the idea is here that we have one group of children and then another group of children, and one group of children have decided to play one game, another group of children have decided to play another game, and they are to try and get each group to play their game. I don't feel like being sad today for one uh, game is called funerals, where they weeped and they would wail as though they're in a funeral, and the others would be piping as though they're joyous and in a wedding. They'd done it in marketplaces and town squares as we would have it today. And they did this. Plus also, this was to catch the attention of passers-by. Would they catch on to what was happening? Sometimes it was done at both weddings and funerals also where the children mimicked the parents. That's why we must be careful. Our children will mimic what we do. If a man is abusive to his wife, or vice versa, but if he's abusive to his wife, the children may mimic their father. If the wife is uh, unfaithful or abusive to the husband and vice versa, then the children may grow up to mimic this game. We'll put it in brackets. They grow up to mimic their parents. And what they see and how they are brought up is of the utmost importance. If a child is brought up that they are in church on the Lord's day, then they grow up knowing the things of God. If they know it at home, they'll grow up knowing it at home also. But if we're telling the children, ah, we need not go today for no reason at all, then they end up feeling the same way about these things. There are three points I want to look at. I might not get them finished tonight, and I don't want to, I said I won't keep you later than usual. These are the three points of this generation that Jesus is speaking of. One is it's an unresponsive generation, an unresponsive generation. Two, it is an unregenerate generation, an unregenerate generation. And three, it is an unreasonable generation an unreasonable generation. Let's look then at the first one here, the unresponsive generation. I'm told at this game that they played these children's weddings and funerals uh, in Matthew chapter 11, that when the children cry out to explain, uh, they cried out to point out, as it were, the exact trouble and effort that they went to. They took little pipes or flutes with them. And verse 17 says, they cried, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. Look at the disappointment in their faces. We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned and you have not lamented. Piping and dancing is for the wedding. Mourning and lamenting was for the funeral. They perform, they call out, they act out. And they're two vastly different occasions in all of our lives, weddings and funerals. For example, a wedding is a union of love. 
A wedding is a, a bond and a promise, a commitment to stay one to the other all of your life. It is a joyous occasion, and it's usually a sign, or if you want, a symbol of a new start for the couple, for the young couple, the people. It can be colorful, and it's bright, it's happy, you know, it's fun. And so these children bring out the pipes or the flutes, and they pipe while dancing, hoping to uh, show others this joy that it may be, if we can use the word, infectious to the passers-by in the markets or the town square. And they're piping and they're dancing, hoping that they would join in. I remember when I was a wee boy living down beside Crusaders football ground. And we used to play football at the top of the, the street, right at the very bottom of the streets there where the bottom gates are. And I, you, know, you see the footballers coming in and out and sometimes like a Pat Jennings even called in and so on. And we used to be kicking the ball about and give them a bit of stick for whoever they were playing for at the time. But you know, when we were playing as boys, it was great fun. But you see, whenever one of the other men came passing by, and next thing we were playing with a ball, and maybe it was a player, or maybe it was just someone passing, he caught on, and he ran over and took the ball off us and kicked about for five or ten minutes. We thought this was amazing. This was tremendous, because the, 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 the older person has shown an interest in this. They have caught hold of our joy and what we wanted to do, what we were trying to show them. And so whenever these children are playing, they're playing and they're saying to their friends, don't be gloomy in the funeral game. Come over to the party game uh, of the wedding and, and join us. And they're saying, no, we want to be gloomy. You want to be joyful. You be joyful, but we'll be gloomy. And this was the idea. But people passing by and they're dancing may have started dancing with the children. And it also gave an idea that a wedding was taking place. There's a wedding happening. Or on the other hand, there was a funeral happening. We have piped unto you, they said, and you have not danced. And so in Matthew 22, let's look at the funeral for a moment. Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus tells the parable of a wedding. Verse 1, we'll start reading. And Jesus answered and spake unto them, saying, them again, pardon me, by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And he saith to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, having not a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be a weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here the king 
is our heavenly father. The son of the wedding is the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. This parable, Jesus is speaking to the Jews and he's saying, the prophets came to Israel of old and they turned away. Now I'm here with the remnant of Judah. I'm here, he says, and I'm speaking to religious Jews. And when I'm speaking to you, he says, you have turned away and you go to your merchandise, you go to your work, you go to this place and that place, and you don't want to know about the wedding feast of the Son of God that is to come. You don't want to be my bridegroom, in other words, he's saying. He says, what will God do? But he, he will destroy those who will turn Christ away and are not ready for this wedding. Then he says, I'll send out, that was from the land of Judea at that time, he sent out onto the lost sheep. He sent out seeking men and women for the kingdom of God. In other words, he went out furthering the gospel toward the west and then around the world. He sends it out, seeking out men and women who will come to the invitation of the great wedding. And those who come to the invitation of the great wedding, when the wedding is at hand, they realize all things are ready. It's by grace. It's by invitation. You're called. And if you come, you're the chosen. And he says, when I have brought you in, he says, the Father will inspect all to see if their wedding garments are on. And there he finds a man without a wedding garment on. And so he has him bound hand and foot. This just gives the idea that even at the kingdom of God on earth, when Christ returns at his second coming, there will be men and women unsaved, unready, unready for Christ's return in the wedding feast. So we see here that the Lord is not only telling us a parable of a marriage, but these children are piping and Jesus is using it saying there's a wedding coming and we have piped unto you and you won't dance. You don't want to partake. You don't want to be involved in it. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Listen to what it says. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, you're blessed. You're called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 22 and verse 14. What did we finish with? Many are called. These children are playing and and their actions are calling to the wedding. And Jesus is saying, all who pass by the marketplace or pass by the wedding game of these children piping onto them, and they've heard the pipes, he says, many of you are called, but the odd one here and the odd one there and one over here will turn aside and will come over and will partake and want to enter into the wedding. And the children are saying, many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus says. In other words, they are my elect. They're mine. Brothers and sisters, we have been called, we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And we heard the pipes of the wedding game. He turned aside at the grace of God and we saw all things were ready that the lamb had been slain and were now clothed and ready for the great marriage supper of the Lamb. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. To him that, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. In other words, he said, Those whom the Father gives will come. 
They'll come and I'll know them, he says, and they'll come to me and I'll not cast them out. Listen to what he says in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. They're the ones who are called and ready. The sound of the pipes, the wedding call, the invitation is the gospel of saving grace. It's a gospel that we have heard and responded to. And how many times have we heard the pipes of grace, even for joy in the Lord, which is your strength, Christian? Even to say, come and rejoice in the Lord thy God, for thou hast come to a great Married supper, you're come, you're ready, you're being dressed, you're a child of God, you're a son and a daughter of the king. Come and enjoy the feasting at his table. And yet we refuse, even as Christians, to turn aside and rejoice in the Lord our God. And again we say, rejoice. We have piped, and you have not danced. We have mourned and you have not lamented. Here, secondly, we see the unregenerated generation. First of all was the unresponsive. The unresponsive are put out of the kingdom. The unresponsive are unsaved. The unresponsive are even those Christians who are saved. But they can be unresponsive to the prompting of the Spirit. Unresponsive to the Word of God. Unresponsive when there's a message given to your heart unresponsive. The unregenerate generation is second. And here we have, we have mourned, they said, and you have not lamented. We have mourned and you have not lamented. The unregenerate means they're dead. The unregenerate are dead. The regeneration and those who follow Christ and the regeneration are you and I who are following the Lord Jesus through the Spirit of God and the Word. Notice this, the unregenerate speaks of dead and lifelessness. And funerals are sad, solemn, and less colorful than the weddings, as we know. So the children's game is this. If called and if piped onto, and you won't dance, and you won't come with joy, and you won't do the life, you won't do life, and you won't do anything that's joyous around, then maybe, maybe if we mourn, you will notice and you'll come. That's the idea of it. Maybe if we mourn, you will notice. The idea here of we have mourned means professional mourners. Do you remember when the little girl had died and Jesus goes to the house and the mourners are there and he puts them all out of the room? That wasn't the mourners of her family because they're brokenhearted. He brings in the mom and dad with some of his disciples, remember? And he raises her from the dead, but he puts the mourners out. You know why? They were professional mourners. They were mourners who could play the game. You paid them to come in to make a tumult in the village that people would hear, oh, the little girl has passed away. There's no telephones. There's no internet. And so people would hear the mourning in the streets. They'd hear them outside the house and they beat their breasts. And, oh, and they tore their clothes and they weeped and they wailed and the tears ran down their face and they done it professionally. And the children here saying, We're even mourning like the professional mourner to let you know, listen, death is at the door. Death is at your house. Death is coming your way. Will you not understand? Will you not turn aside? Says we have mourned and ye have not lamented. You're on regenerate generation. You can't understand. You 
does nothing for you. Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. (laughs) Now, when you lose a loved one, you hear this, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is true. I mean, that's true. The Lord is, is at your elbow. He's within you. He's with you all every step of the way. Even when we can't understand things, he's still there. But listen, do you see the idea of this mourning? It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't even mean so much mourning over the loss of a loved one. Jesus isn't speaking about that there. He's giving kingdom precepts here. This is about living for the kingdom and in the kingdom. He says, blessed are they that mourn. It means blessed are they who are mourning because of the sin in the kingdom of Israel. That's what it means. Blessed are they that mourn because of their personal sin, because of the sin in the church. He says, in other words, if you mourn, Christ will bring you blessings. In other words, see it. Understand it and deal with it. He says we, we tend to brush it under the carpet or we tend to push it to the side or we tend to believe it isn't happening or we tend to do nothing with it or we tend to, to just live with it. Jesus says the nation should be in mourning. Do you know our nation, our queen, her majesty, Queen Elizabeth She should be calling our nation to national mourning because of what's happening in it. She should be calling our nation to national mourning because of the sin of it, because of the things that are going on in it, because of the overrunning of these uh, Islamic extremists and all the things that we're hearing and seeing because of the rise of pedophilia, because of the rise of rape of the women. Germany is even worse. It should be mourning before God. It should be crying unto God. It should be saying, we need God to move in our land. Listen, let's not get up to a high shindig and kick off our shoes at the moment. Let's get on our knees and cry before God and mourn, and he will pour out the blessing. That's the idea of it. Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, because there I'll comfort them. Lord, in my own life, I have failed you and let you down. I'm so sorry, Lord, help me. And he comforts us. I love you. But when we don't come to him, we find no rest or peace or comfort. There's so many things and examples I could give you of it, but it's blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted through forgiveness and comforted through God's presence. Listen to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 7 through to 10. James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now already there is the the humanistic hackles come up. There is the pride of sinful man comes up. Submit to God? Me? I am my own God. Do you know one of the first, or one of the things you learn in satanic ritual is you are God. You are your own God. Submit, therefore, yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
If you submit yourself to everything God tells you, if you and I submit ourselves to everything God shows us, if we submit ourselves or test or try of our lives to the word of God, even the devil, when he comes to tempt or test or try to attack, we don't even need to fight him. We just say, no thanks, devil. Off you go. And he flees from us. We're submitted unto God. We're already victorious in Christ. We're already overcomers. The wedding's already done and pipes are blowing. We just don't understand that yet. We don't understand and we can't accept that. Draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Listen, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Under submission and now humble. And in between that, he gives a list of who we are in our flesh. He says, this is who you are, but this is what to do. And this is what will happen. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7 and 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. (laughs) It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Now, brothers and sisters, this does talk about death here. Now, I'll be honest, and as you know, and many of you too, at the moment, Alison and I, are we jokeful saying, is we have called ceasefire on death here because I've had four in the last few couple of years. I don't want it anymore. I've been to the house of mourning too much recently. I don't want it. But I'll be honest, in the house of mourning, in the house of mourning as I've seen my loved one die and wither away, whether it was with cancer or with some, something else, when I've watched them die and wither away and their breath has expelled from their body and they become a lifeless corpse in a shell, you know what it does? It brings your own mortality to reality. It starts to make us think, where am I for God? What am I living like for God? What are my priorities before God? Because when we think we live all the time, the back of our minds, we know we'll have some time, we'll go. But really, we don't see it on our own headstone yet. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Anyone that goes to a funeral, especially of a loved one, and even though they're heartbroken, then later they don't think of death. I think there's something wrong. Regular occurrence, it comes to my mind. Very regular. I see them. I see them dead. I dream about it. And I've led it to my heart. Lord, whatever time I have, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to love you more. I want to go deeper in you. I want to know you. Because one day, I'm going to stand before him. We let to our hearts at these times. So some of the early Christian writers, and listen to this, some of the early Christian writers, you know, they used to write late at night and they had the light by candlelight. Some of, the, some of the old Christian writers, if they found a human skull, you know, because people were murdered or killed or whatever, 
and there weren't graves the way we have them today. If they found a human skull, it's known that some of the writers actually put the candle in the top of the skull and used it as a base to hold it while they're, do- while they're doing their writing at night. Now listen, the reason that they did that, uh, I read one time as someone came and says, why do you write at night? Why use a skull with a candle protruding out of it? And when one was asked it, they replied, listen, the light from a death's head may be an awful one, but it is very profitable. And let me say it again, the light from a death's head it may be an awful one, but it is very profitable. In other words, every time he looks at the human frame of the skull, he remembers that he's doing the life that he's doing for God. He's writing for the Lord. He's praying unto the Lord. And this is the shell that will one day go and lie in the grave. And the light of that head is profitable for him. You know, death may be the best evangelist a man might ever hear, a woman might ever hear. Many laugh and feast Never think of their own mortality. Yet Ecclesiastes 3 and 2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. Hebrews 9 and 27 says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And so the light from death's head and those old writers, they kept this before them. One day, it'll be my turn. And one day, I will stand before God. And where will I be? How will I stand before him when I give an account of my Christian life? Oh, this is real, brothers and sisters. And as Christians, we we tally along. And I was talking about someone yesterday and how they got into a conversation. It was great to talk about things of God. And and yet they were speaking and said some people were just glazing along the top of, of, of what God has. And he has so much to swim in and to drink from and to eat off. And, and we just tend to go along from day to day. And we, we are not hungry enough to try and pursue him even to the very end. Playing funerals brought a sense of reality to the people's mortality. The hurting, debilitating cruelty of loss brings an awful light from death's head, brothers and sisters, for the wages of sin death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, the funeral game was to call and cause others to lament with him. We have mourned, they said. We have mourned unto you, but you have not lamented. See the word lamented? It's the word copto. And it means we have wailed even. We have cried from the top of our lungs. We have shouted from the top of our voices. We have yelled and we have wailed, we have mourned and lamented. We have fallen to the ground and we have got up again. We've even torn our clothes and beat our breasts. Please stop and listen. That's what it means. It's a different light now what Christ is saying, doesn't it? Matthew 24 and 30. Jesus says, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
Listen to Revelation 1 and 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The word mourn in the first reading, and the word wail in the second is the exact same. Copto. In other words, there are going to be men and women when Christ returns, wailing and beating their breasts because they know they have rejected him. They have not a wedding garment on. They have not come at the piping of the children of God. And someone will be your family and mine. And your neighbors and mine. If one mourns for their sin now and laments at their mortality and they're launching out into eternity, they will be comforted as they are paying, playing the funeral game, as it were, to be at the wedding and not at the wailing of Christ's return. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad for the blood of Jesus. I praise him for his precious blood because through his death, burial, resurrection, the shedding of his precious blood on Calvary's tree, I will be at the wedding, the wedding of the Lamb. I'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and so will you. We won't be at the wailing at his coming, but the wedding of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We have the garments on. The unresponsive generation, the unregenerate generation, and now we have the unreasonable Generation last and finally. Matthew 11, 18 and 19. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, please. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. The Lord Jesus likens these two groups now to the ministry of himself and John the Baptist. Do you notice that? See, earlier in the chapter, the Lord Jesus is approached by some of John's disciples. And John had sent them being in prison. And, and he, they say in, in verse 3, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. In other words, they had heard the piping. They had heard the wedding that was happening. They had heard, get ready, for there's going to be a marriage supper. Get ready, there's going to be a wedding in the preaching of Christ. They saw the dead raised to life. They saw the lame walk and the blind see and the dumb to speak and the deaf they hear and devils cast out and leprosy die. And they heard the kingdom of God being preached and they said, oh, this is a great day this is going to be. I want to be joyous. I want to be victorious. I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. And they take the message back to John whose ministry represents the funeral and where is he? But in a pit. And he has his head cut off. Jesus says to them, in verse 10, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Speaking of John the Baptist. John had come preaching in the wilderness, fasting, eating wild locusts and honey. He was isolated. He was, as it were, divorced from society and human pleasures and comfort. He, he preached in the wilderness and they come out, but Jesus came mixing with the people in among their cities and their towns and their villages. John was in the outside. He was this sort of strange character. Christ was in the inside. He was this other strange character. One was aloof and one was very near. 
Is that the way we want weddings and funerals to be? Please keep the funeral out there, but bring the wedding in here. Verse 18 says, John neither came eating or drinking, yet you say he has a devil. They say, he's a devil, he's mad. He's a madman out there. He has a devil. For the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and he say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bubber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, John has a devil. Jesus is immoral. Oh, you come eating and drinking. And you're right in among the whole villages. You're not very monkish and, 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 and aloof from us staying outside in the wilderness. You've come right into the middle of us, and you sit with the like of Zacchaeus, who you call down off a tree, a tax collector. A man who's hated. You go to those who are untouchable like the leper and touch them. He says, there's something wrong here. They're all sinners, you see. They're all unclean. And you want to be among people like that? He says, I came eating and drinking. That doesn't mean to say that he came uh, drinking and getting drunk and drinking wine. The idea of this is he was a man, a very man, and he came. And he was of necessity eating the food that the others of Judea would eat. And he drank of the, of the, the grape juice wine that the others of Judea would drink. But they lied about him. He says, this is what you say, but it's not who I am. Both accounts of John and Christ were wrong, false, and untrue. They were unreasonable generation. An unreasonable generation. In other words, no matter what you told them, they wouldn't accept it. John, in the funeral preaching, won't accept it. Christ, and his wedding preaching, won't accept it. Listen to William Barclay. The plain fact is that when people do not want to listen to the truth, they will easily enough find an excuse for not listening to it. It's not simple. That was William Barclay. Listen, the truth was hitting them up the face. These Jews around him were hearing of the truth. They were hearing funeral preaching. Look, here's the mortality of man. And here is your soul. Where will you be? And they come from the fiery preacher in to hear the other young preacher now coming up from Galilee, the young man, Christ of Jesus of Nazareth. And they start to hear him preaching and he starts talking of the kingdom and he starts talking of, of the blessings of God. And he starts saying, mourn for your sin and you'll be blessed. And he's sitting in among them and they're saying, boy, this doesn't satisfy me either. And that devil out there doesn't satisfy me. And this moral sinner, uh, a moral sinner doesn't satisfy me. And Jesus says, there's nothing will satisfy you and you will not come. That's the idea of this. I'm closing. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all have not faith. He says, no matter what we do, there's men and women just won't come to God. Brothers and sisters, there's people out in this world, this stupid, silly generation, and they just won't come to God. They won't come to Christ that they may be forgiven and saved. They won't come to Christ because they're just so unreasonable. Nothing will satisfy them in this world. And be sure when they do, they will hear again the funeral preacher. But the preacher in the funeral service will be too late for they'll be the one in the coffin. 
Isaiah 1 and 18, the Lord says to Israel, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Jews might criticize John for his hard preaching, his isolation, his funeral ministry, as it were. But John had moved the hearts of men to God as it hadn't been seen in centuries. God had moved the hearts of men through his hard-hitting sermons like they had never been moved before. He moved them, and they came to faith. may have been in isolation and hated, but he moved them. The Jews may have criticized Jesus for his preaching of the kingdom and mixing with all manner of people, the ordinary people of the day, his wedding ministry. But in him, people were finding hope and healing and a new life, a new start and a new beginning. They're finding grace, a new power to live their life right, to live how they ought to, and a new access, being reconciled to God. They realized the pipes of this funeral ministry the pipes of the wedding feast calling them, backing them. There is a wedding coming. Let's gather and get ready. Jesus said in Matthew 11, but wisdom is justified of our children. Brothers and sisters, when we stand on the word of God, when we preach the word of God, when we speak the word of God, when we talk the word of God, no matter what it takes, no matter what the stupid generation is doing, no matter what the intelligentsia are doing, no matter what the humanists are doing, no matter what the LGBT community are doing, no matter what anybody else is doing, the communists are doing, no matter what anybody else is doing, when we stand by the word of God, we will find that wisdom, wisdom itself will be justified of our children because others will come the faith in Christ whom he is calling. We must stay right. I'm glad of the funeral preacher calling me to repent and to see my time will come and I must be ready. And I'm glad of the joy and the peace of the wedding preacher brings that he is still the friend of sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, he's coming soon. God bless his word to all of our hearts tonight. For Jesus' sake. Amen.